and welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one luminous page of Talmud every day. And in today's page, Megillah 7, well, we have a showdown for the ages. Have a listen. Rav Shmuel Bar Yehuda said, Esther, the queen from the Megillah, you remember her. Esther sent to the sages, establish me for future generations. Esther requested that the observance of Purim and the reading of the Megillah be instituted as an ordinance for all generations. They sent to her, you will thereby arouse the wrath of the nations upon us as the Megillah recounts the victory of the Jews over the Gentiles. And it is best not to publicize that victory. She sent back to them, I am already written in the chronicles of the kings of Medea and Persia. And so the Megillah will not publicize anything that is not already known worldwide. What a demand, what a response, what a drama. Here to help us unpack so much emotion, uh, so much grandeur, is the one and only Dr. Shana Trapita, who teaches English at Stern College Yeshiva University. Dr. Trapita, welcome to the podcast. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Liel, for having me. So tell me, what's, what's, what's going on in this uh, incredible demand of Esther's? Oh, this is my this is probably my favorite moment. Maybe not just in the discussions, the Talmudic discussions of the Megillah, but just in biblical texts about writing and publication. So as a writing teacher and as a teacher of literature, I'm very invested in having my students understand the connections between literacy and cultural identity and our social engagement. And this moment I mean, it's kind of remarkable to think about the Tanakh, like the, the 24 collective books of the Hebrew canon could have been 23. Esther potentially was not going to be included in what we consider the canonized Hebrew Bible. And the only reason why we have the Megillah as a piece of writing is because Esther, shlacha, because Esther sent, she took initiative and said to the sages, Establish me for generations. But what's happening in this passage is really interesting. We actually have two publication records. So the Gemara is talking about when we read the Megillah on Purim as part of the holiday, as part of the holiday observance, and then we have the account that you just read that Esther initiates and says, "Write my story down and publicize it." But maybe in what feels a little bit too familiar right now, the idea is that the sages reply, "More Jews in the news." would be bad news, right? Why call attention to this story? It's just going to elicit more anti-Jewish sentiment. So they say, we can't, we cannot publish your story. And her response is, they're going to do it anyway. I've already been written down. My story has already been published. So what's the difference? Let's tell it from our perspective. So one of the things that's interesting about this is the whole exchange is transacted through writing. She sends a message. They send a message back. She hits reply all, right? All of this is transacted through writing. But then right below the passage that you read, the, the Talmud includes a second account of her kind of pushing for or her lobbying for her, you know, publication contract, if you will. So the next inclusion that we have is that Esther says to the sages, kiss Buni Ladero, write me for the future generations. Whereas in the previous passage, it was Kivuni, establish me. And those are homophones. They sound very similar. And then here the reply 
from the rabbis. They kind of take a pull quote from Proverbs and they say, have I not written for you three times? And this is a reference to a Pusuk, a verse from Proverbs 22.20. And the implication here is that, you know what, we already have a lot of interest in writing. The market is saturated for stories about the conflict between the Jews and Amalek because Haman is a descendant from Amalek. And we've already recorded that three times. Rashi explains it was written once in Exodus. The story comes up again in Deuteronomy. It's recorded again in Samuel. We don't need another publication or monograph on this particular controversy. And then the guard continues to have kind of a discussion of, well, is the story of Esther actually meritorious of being in Tanakh? Is it actually divinely inspired text? And so multiple proofs are offered throughout. But ultimately, you know, as readers, you know, spoiler alert, the fact that Esther's text is included, that you can go into any hotel, if they still have Bibles in hotel rooms, flip it open and find the book of Esther there. We know how the story ends. Obviously, her petition is successful. So what tips the scales for Esther and the inclusion, you know, it's, it's really fascinating. The debate is really about how do you know if something is divine, divinely inspired text? How do you know that it is divine writ? And it goes into a discussion of what a narrator would know, right? Because the text says what Haman was thinking, clear that's a divine text. Or because we know what the Jews or what the nations all thought of Esther, that must be divinely inspired text as well. Ultimately, though, we have Reb Shmuel's proof text. So unlike the other Tanaim, Shmuel does not point to any instance of this omniscient account or an interior monologue of the story, but he, he points toward a moment of collective action, that we write the story of Esther down because writing transcends historical accounts. What's valuable here is that her text will become a guide for daily living. It's going to display divine actions and be a guide for Jewish conduct and behavior, how the Jewish people are supposed to behave themselves, conduct themselves as a nation with a shared commitment to remember their suffering and their deliverance in the diaspora. And so what's fascinating here is that the purpose of writing and what merits inclusion is when divinely inspired text, it's divinely inspired if it inspires divine action. And so his proof text, we're told, is irrefutable. Esther's text qualifies as scripture because it serves as a script for communal ritual and enactment. So as a writing teacher, what I find really fascinating here are a couple of takeaways that I would say are lessons really for all writers. So the first thing that we see is that, you know, when you put writing out there into the world, be prepared for pushback right? Esther says, I want to publish this. I want to put this out there. The rabbis say, oh, it's going to, you know, you're going to get a lot of comments. You should be prepared. And she says, I know I'm ready, right? If you believe in your, in what you're saying and what needs to be said, if you're putting truth into the world, be prepared to stand up um, and stand behind it. And the second piece of writing advice, which I think is pretty relevant for everyone is be concise, <laughs> even though the, the, response is, you know, I've already published this three times. I don't need a fourth. You know, if you can say it in fewer words, definitely say it in fewer words. But at the same time, Esther's story does get written. And this conflict with Amalek gets recorded for a fourth time. And this to me is really interesting, right? We live in a world where, you know, especially for my students, they get anxious. What am I, what can I say about Shakespeare that hasn't been said before? What can I possibly add to this community of ideas? And the idea is it doesn't need to be new in ideas sometimes, as long as it's a new in formulation. No two people read the same book or the same experience differently. Your perspective is unique and matters. And then the last piece of writing advice, I would say, is the awareness that, of course, writing is power. 
writing can mobilize people. It can lead to immense human suffering and immense human flourishing. So I hope these are some of the takeaways I hope that my students pull from this. I think, you know, as we approach uh, the holiday of Purim and we hear Megillah, most of us listen up to right around chapter eight, right after Haman gets hung. And, you know, the story kind of reads its climactic retributive conclusion. There's still two chapters left. And most of us are thinking this fast is really long. Oh, those are my favorite chapters. <laughs> they are. I agree with you. Chapters nine and ten, they, they give us that, you know, that moment of the importance. There's this biblical meta narrative of how much writing and, you know, being a, a, a people of the book matters to us, not just the production of writing, but our return to writing and how much it gives us identity and purpose. Writing and revenge. Dr. Trapita, thank you so much for being our guest. It's a pleasure. This has been Take One, a production of Tablet Studios. If you enjoy this show, and I hope you do, please go and rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. Each week, we'll be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly portion of Dafyomi. I'm your host, Leah Leibowitz, and our producers are Josh Cross, Sarah Fredman-Ader, and Robert Scarmuccia, with help from Quinn Waller. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash takeone, or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. You could find us on Twitter, at takeonedafyomi, or join our Facebook group by searching for Take One Podcast. I hope we've made your day a little bit more Talmudic. And we'll see you again soon. Thank you.